0: Just a couple of things. First off, Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are here today. Yes, give dads a round of applause. I, I joking, jokingly, somebody posted on Facebook this morning. I, I saw that on Mother's Day, mom gets a two thousand dollar diamond, and dad gets a pair of dad shorts with the side pockets on sale for ten bucks. Is that how that? Is that how that? It used to be ties, but now we're in dad shorts. Dad shorts. Yeah, so that's awesome. Um, Soretta, don't laugh. I have, like, five pair of dad shorts. I saw you laughing. And they're all the same. Stop it. You're like, he's got the same pair of pants on. No, I got five of them. How many dads, like, when you find something that you really like, you don't just buy one? You buy, yes, thank you. See? I don't know if it's a man thing or what. Like, but anyway. All right, move on. Um, Also, encourage you to sign up for the 4th of July just to hang out, help park cars. Um, Be sure to sign up and uh, do that. So here's how this works. Dads, you're going to take ownership of this. Dads, you're going to go out and you're going to get yourself some free wild exotic jerky that Ben's already been in, obviously. Um, Go out there, get yourself some wild exotic jerky, and then turn right around and sign your family up to help out on the 4th of July. So I think there's like alligator and bison and kangaroo and all the moms just went, kangaroo. Um, but uh, some countries actually raise kangaroo for that purpose. So just relax. Everybody okay? We okay? All the moms, we good? All right. Okay. Well, we've, uh, we, we've been gone. We've been on vacation. Um, if you follow me on social media... You know, we've been doing all kinds of crazy things out west in Custer, South Dakota, in the Black Hills. Um, And I have a a close friend of mine that has a cabin out there with some acreage. And so we had no TV, no internet. The only time we had cell phone service is when we went into town. And so if you saw me posting, it probably was a day late or eight hours late because I was actually in town with service. Uh, Our cabin was... 20 minutes off any concrete road, 20 minutes down a red dirt road, and so our van has red dust and dirt all over it. And uh, it was just a great time. And you start to discover out there who your friends are, because uh, my friend whose house happens to be on the same acreage just across the way he said, I said, explain something to me. I said, you're an extrovert, I'm an extrovert. How does an extrovert live out here? Because there's, there's nothing. He says, well, he says, you know, you find your friends in church, you find your friends in your job for him. He's, he, he's uh, on the fire department and a fire chaplain, and so he's friends there and, and so on. And, and he says, you know, he goes, and sometimes in the winter, you just talk to a lot of squirrels. Um, but you find out real quick who your friends are, you know, and he says, you know, our neighbors down the street, and by down the street, I mean you can't see their house down the street in the valley. Uh, he goes, they they have chickens, and so they bring the eggs over, and so we ate breakfast with them, and their chick fresh, 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 I can't, it's been a week, fresh chicken eggs from the farm, um, and, and ate, and it was good, and it was awesome, and As we were out there and we were talking about friendship, I really began to see, and what we're going to talk about this morning is friendship specifically, five signs that you know you have a godly friend. I'm not talking about a friend. I'm talking about a godly friend, right? A friend that will be there for you, a friend that will show up in 14 inches of snow with two dozen chicken eggs because um, he was sharing, he goes, yeah, he goes, well, he goes, it's, it's not improbable that we'll get snow all the way up till the end of May, and it has happened before, he goes, where well, it will start snowing at the end of August. Um, Some of you are like, oh, no, um, and he said, so our neighbors down the street will bring us, you know, and he was sharing about, they want their, they want their neighbors uh, their neighbor's daughter, she wants to be baptized. She's given her life to Christ, and she wants to be baptized. in it. And they said, well, we're going to baptize her in one of the horse troughs. And her dad said, well, then I'm going into town to buy a brand new horse trough for my daughter to be baptized in. And so they did that. <laughs> and it was just an awesome thing. You learn who the godly friends are in your life. And I'm going to give you five clues to those this morning in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. It says this, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Here is a man, we don't know how long he's been paralyzed, we don't know if there was an accident in his life that caused him to be paralyzed, but what we do know is that he's paralyzed, he can't move, he's lying on a mat. And there are people that say, you know what, we have to get this man to Jesus. We have to get this guy to Jesus because Jesus can cure him, Jesus can heal him, Jesus can do something that no doctor has ever done. Jesus can do something that no scientist has ever done. Jesus can do things beyond human reasoning. And his friends understood that. But of course, Jesus being the celebrity that he was, surrounded by people wanting to hear, wanting to know, wanting to be healed, how are we going to get our friend to Jesus? The first point of a godly friend is that you can rely on a godly friend. A godly friend can be relied on. These men could be relied on. They weren't, well, I just don't feel like it today. Sorry. I don't need those people in my life. Anybody ever been frustrated by those people? Let me see your hands. All right, look at your neighbor and go, don't follow your feelings. Some of you aren't feeling it this morning, are you? Look at your friend and say, don't follow your feelings. Look at your other friend and say, feelings are a lie. All right, let me just just break this down for you for a moment because we are a society bent on doing what we feel when we feel like it, whatever we desire. Here's the problem with feelings. Feelings tell you something isn't right. Feelings are like an instrument gauge on the dash of your car but we don't drive our car or our vehicle based on the speedometer or the fuel tank right? it just tells us how much fuel we got it just tells us how fast we're going but if you try to drive directionally and just constantly look at your speedometer you're going to be in trouble that's feelings. Feelings go, Whoa, we're going too fast. Whoa, we're going too slow. Oh, I need, I need to slow down and fill up a, a little bit emotionally. All right? Feelings are your gauges, but they were never intended to get you to where you're going. That takes resolve, determination. That takes vision and understanding and knowing and telling your feelings, get over it. Uh, I, I'll, I'll not forget Lynn's face when we crossed the South Dakota border and the speed limit went up to 80 miles an hour right she's like you're going really fast ah, I'm going 90 because the speed limit's 80 <laughs> right and then you get out into the plains and you can see it's like, it's like the ocean is just water as far as you can see and the plains are, it's just grass as far as you can see And I might have had the van into triple digits, but I won't acknowledge it here, but it might have happened once or twice while she was asleep. So, right? Like, I didn't even know vans were designed to go that fast, but they can. So good news to all you lead-footed dads out there, if you have a van, you can take the soccer mom van past 100, all right? So... Great friends can be relied upon, and they're not concerned about their feelings of the moment. They're in it for you. They're in it for the friendship. They're in it because I'm sure when they picked up this man, this paralyzed man, and he couldn't move himself, it was hot, it was dusty, it was a mess to get through the crowd because the crowd is pressing Jesus as they often were. And they said, we're not really... We're, It's going to be hard to get through this crowd. It's going to be hot. It's going to be dusty. It's going to be messy. But they could be relied upon. I'm reminded of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Anybody know the story of David and Jonathan, right? Uh, David is supposed to be the next king. Jonathan is King Saul's son. So rightfully, the throne belongs to Jonathan. But Jonathan David develops such a strong friendship that when Jonathan is killed in battle and David becomes king, David finds Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, say that 10 times real fast, Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is, is injured from the legs down and cannot move, and so David calls Mephibosheth to his throne and says, hey, I was really good friends with your dad, and by the way, I told your dad that his descendants would never be lacking when I became king. Now, you have to understand that when you become king, one of the first actions you do is you slaughter the previous king's family. You eliminate them so that they cannot come back and reclaim the throne. So you're Mephibosheth, and you're living out in the middle of nowhere hiding from King David, and here comes King David's entourage. Hey, the king wants you at his palace. What's the first thing to go through your mind? I'm sure it was. <laughs> oh, snap. That's it. I'm done. And I can't run because my legs don't work. And David says, no, 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 no. I'm giving you back all the land your father had, and every night, if you want, you can come eat at my court, at my table, and eat my food. That's a friend. Because David had every right to eliminate Mephibosheth and say, no, your line is wiped out because I'm king now. But he didn't. He showed love and compassion and care, and he could be relied upon. Even when his friend died, he kept his promise to his friend's son. Think about that. That's reliability. That's somebody that can be trusted. I remember when we got to the cabin this week and the owner's, were telling us, now, there's been a mountain lion in the area, and behind the cabin was a hill. We were down in the valley, and so we had rock cliffs in front of us, about 15, 20 acres in front of us, and then directly behind the cabin in, in the national forest was this hill behind us. And she said, she goes, we think he's living up on the hill behind the cabin. She said, so there is a trail that goes to the top of the hill. She goes, it's about a mile and a half around the hill and then up to the top, and she goes, it's a beautiful view. You can look over the valleys and the other mountains and you can look over towards Mount Rushmore and all of these things. She goes, it's beautiful. Um, She goes, but we just ask that nobody goes up there by themselves, that you go in pairs, at least in pairs because mountain lions typically won't deal with two humans, but they will take care of one. You know what my youngest son heard? I get cell reception up there. I've literally, within two hours of that conversation, we're in the cabin looking for Isaiah. He's nowhere to be found. Lynn goes, Ty, where'd he go? And I'm like, I know exactly where he went. He went up there so he could text his girlfriend. Sure enough, we start yelling. We yelling, yell. And your voice, of course, it carries through the valley. It carries everywhere. Isaiah is nowhere to be found. And then finally, yell. yeah like real loud, coming from the top of the hill, and uh, I said, how'd you, I yelled up, how'd you get up there so fast? Well, I just climbed straight up. I'm like, you didn't even take the path, you just, (sniffs) yeah, I said, I'll tell you what I said, because I didn't swear, I said, get your butt down here now, (laughs) because we Hoosiers are not used to mountain lions, get down, right? Right? Get down here now, but but don't give me any more butts. Get down here. So he came just trepsing through the woods, you know, coming down. Now here's the thing with mountain lions: mountain lions typically are not going to bother two humans together. Okay, but here's what I can tell you: that when you're being stalked, and they'll stalk you for up to a mile before they before they jump. You know you're being stalked because you have this eerie feeling. I can't describe it because it's never happened. But our neighbor, it has happened to him when dealing with the wildfires out in there. And he says, it's the eeriest feeling because you know you're being stalked. He goes, I can't describe it. You've never seen the lion, but you know you're being stalked. He goes, so here's what you do. He says, you take your backpack and you unhook You unhook the chest belt across your chest and you unhook your hip belt and you unhook everything and then you let it hang off your shoulders because the mountain lion's going to attack from behind, never from the front. And when he attacks or she attacks, she's going to pull your backpack off and start chewing on it and then realize you're not that tasty and leave you alone. He said, but if there's two of you, They might stalk for a while, and then they're going to leave you alone. And here's what I want to tell you, that when you have a friend that's reliable and a friend that can be trusted, there are things in life that are going to leave you alone because there's more than one of you. But when you get isolated, there's a reason the Bible calls the devil a lion, right? We've all watched Discovery and National Geographic. We know what happens to the one who leaves the herd. The lion doesn't just walk into a herd of zebras and go, which one do I want? No, he scatters them, and then he finds the slow one and attacks it. Same thing with a mountain lion. He waits until you're alone because you don't have the reliability of a friend. These men that carried this paralyzed man were reliable. They, you know what, you can trust us. We're going to get you to Jesus. We're going to get you there. And then in verse 18, it goes on to say, Beyond some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. Number two, a godly friend uses their faith for you. They use their faith for you. Because sometimes in life, you're not going to have faith to go on. Sometimes in life, you're going to feel like you can't go any further. Life has hit you with a blow that you didn't expect. Life has come at you with stuff that you don't understand. It doesn't make sense. You're going to cry out, God, why me? Look, listen, if Jesus in his darkest hour can cry out to God, why have you forsaken me? There's not a question you can ask or a comment you can make to God that's going to cause him to turn his back on you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If Jesus can go, Dad, why did you turn your back on me? In his darkest hour, then it's safe to say that whatever doubts or struggles that you have, they're going to be okay for you to question God with too. And so in those hours and in those moments, sometimes we need people to take us to God. Sometimes we need people to say, hey, come on, let's go worship together. Hey, let's go pray together. Hey, let's go to church together. I know you're feeling down, but but let's let's jump into a Bible study together. Let's get together and seek God because that's friendship. Real friendship doesn't just give grandma's advice. Real friendship doesn't just give mom and dad's advice. Real friendship gives godly advice based on their faith and their relationship with Jesus. Right? Right? I remember the story of a family every Easter. Every Easter they cooked ham. And they always cut off the ends of the ham and put it in the oven. And so one day the mom was like, I wonder why we do this. So she asked her mom. She goes, well, my mom did it. So she asked her grandma, well, grandma, why do you do it? She goes, well, my mom did it. She goes, well, why did your mom do it? She goes, well, growing up, we were so poor, we didn't have a pan big enough to fit the ham in, so we just cut the ends off. She's like, we've been doing this for three generations just because great-grandma didn't have a pan big enough? We've been missing out on all this great ham, right? Listen, sometimes we do things just because And they make no sense. And when we rely on our friend's advice, when we rely on our friend's advice, sometimes we're just cutting off the ends of the ham. But if we're relying on Jesus' advice and the advice from Scripture, then we're going to get the whole ham. Right, And we follow scripture. So a real godly friend is going to stand in the gap for you. When you're down, they're going to pray for you. When you're down, they're going to bring you to church. When you're down, they're going to say, hey, let's go worship together. Hey, let's go to this concert together and worship. Let's go do this or let's go do that. Let's get together and glorify God. They're going to use their faith to elevate you. That's what these men did. Which is point number three. They're going, they elevate, they said, we can't get him in the normal door, so let's use the stairs to get to the roof. Now, those houses in those days would heat up in the desert, they would heat up during the day, and so at night, they'd be extremely hot. And so what families would do is they would actually sleep on the roof under the stars. So it's very common in those days for families and people to to know okay that's Orion and that's Jupiter over there and that's of course I'm putting it in today's term that's the Big Dipper they knew how to navigate based on the stars why because they laid there at night looking at them every night because it was cooler on the roof to sleep than it was to sleep in the house at night and so be, so because of that they started putting stairs on the sides of houses and you had you had ceiling access and so it says when they got him to the roof, they more than likely, the Bible doesn't tell us, but more than likely they carry him up those side steps up the side of the house to get to the roof. That would be so much easier than just getting a ladder out, wouldn't it? Can we just start building houses with stairs that go to the roof? Like sometimes I think they were so much smarter back then, so much more common sense. So just they took him up the stairs. They elevated their friend to a point to to where he needed to be. There's something that we do in life that elevates one another. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You know what that thing is? You know what that Solomon's talking about? It's called accountability. Accountability. People that don't want to be held accountable, you'll see their life just flip-flop with the breeze. But people that have friends that hold them accountable, yeah, yeah wait, wait, you, you said you wanted me to hold you accountable in this. You said I was supposed to tell you when you were downing all those carbs to stop it. So I'm holding you accountable. Stop eating the carbs. Was that too close to home? I'm sorry. Right? A friend's going to hold you accountable. Now, you won't always like it, but because they're a friend, they're going to hold you accountable. Your friend is going to tell you when you have a bat in the cave, when you got a booger in your nose. Like, a friend's going to tell you that. Right? Or when your barn door's open. Your friend's going to tell you that. Your friend's going to tell you those things because they care about you. And it's going to be difficult to hear. And it's going to hurt but if they love you and they're holding you accountable and saying, "Hey, we're going this direction. I'm bringing you with me." It's going to hurt. It's not going to feel good. But they're elevating you to a new place. You see, when we traveled out there, we stayed at elevation. We were we were at we were a mile above sea level. Custer South Dakota is a mile above sea level. The air is thinner. I learned that because we, when we went swimming and cliff jumping into the creeks, it didn't take long when you started swimming to lose your breath. The air is much thinner. It's much more difficult. Anytime you're called to a higher level and a higher plane in a new way to do things, it's going to hurt and the air is going to feel thinner and you to feel, this isn't how I was, this isn't how I'm used to breathing and you're going to get tired more easily. But let me tell you something, once I adjusted to the elevation, once my lungs adjusted to the new place, I was better off. So that when we began to descend, because most people don't know this, but South Dakota is sloped towards the Mississippi. As we began to descend and come home, and we got towards Iowa and Illinois, you, and even in eastern South Dakota, you begin to notice a difference in the air and your breathability you begin to notice a difference. And it's like, whoa. And so what I want to tell you is that when your friends challenge you and hold you accountable and elevate you towards a vision, it's going to hurt and it's not going to feel normal. And it's going to be like, man, I just don't know if I can get my breath. And as we were jumping off cliffs at this place called the Hippie Hole, and I I posted it on Facebook the next day when we had cell reception, right? And so, We're jumping off 25, 30-foot cliffs into the water and swimming. And as we're swimming, there's like long-haired white mountain goats climbing the cliffs around us with their baby kids. And and we're swimming. I want to tell you that I'm in shape because I go to the gym. But something's different when you elevate. And when God calls us to elevate, when your friends hold you accountable and drive you to elevate, you're going to get wore out easy. Easier. You're going to feel like this isn't right. But what I I want to tell you is that you'll have some of the most surreal experiences you've ever had. Because as I laid on my back, swam on my back in the hippie hole, it's just what the locals call it. Swimming in the hippie hole, watching up, watching these mountain goats and these kids just climb the crevices. And I don't mean like human kids, that's what they call baby goats. You all with me on that? I know we got some farmers in here, you understand that. Right? Watching these. Kids climb the crevices and cracks in these rocks and watching the mom and dad push the kids higher and higher and holding them accountable to something that's different, that's not not normal. It was elevating. It was moving. And so a godly friend is going to elevate your spiritual life. A godly friend is going to push you higher, and it's not going to be comfortable. But because they love you and they want to see you whole and healed, they're willing to do what it takes to make you uncomfortable enough to climb. Do I have any climbers in here? Anybody willing to climb even though it feels uncomfortable? Because it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. If you ever talk to anybody that runs a marathon, they'll tell you about mile 12, you feel like you're going to die. Mile 12, a marathon runner will tell you, when, they, when you're, every human hits mile 12, I have to stop. I'm going to collapse. I'm going to die. And they say, if you can run at least another quarter to a half a mile, your body will begin to recover. It's your mind telling you you can't. It's your body telling your mind you can't. And your mind says, yes, you can. And I need a friend that says, yes, you can climb higher. Yes, you can go further. Yes, you can do more than what you're doing. Yes, you can know God more. That's the friend I need. I don't need the friend saying, well, stay down here with me where the air is thick and everything's fine. And I don't need that. I need to push and move on. Number four. A good friend, as these men did, will bring you to Jesus. They will bring you to Jesus whatever way, however they need to. They will take, hey, you need some Jesus right now, right? A good friend in the car will tell you, calm down. I know the drive throughs is taking longer than it should. Calm down. Right? I really want that car. That's not the right car. A good friend will tell you that. No matter how much you want that one, they'll tell you that's not the right car because of this, that, and the other, right? And they'll say, they'll they'll point you to Jesus. They will ask you the cliche. What would Jesus do? Right? How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus how would Jesus perceive the situation? They will point everything back to Jesus. And point number five and finally the last point, point number five, the whole reason that Luke put this in his gospel wasn't to show us about friendship. A real friend is going to point you to the supremacy of Christ in everything. Jesus is supreme over everything. Luke didn't put this in the Bible to tell us about friendship. If I were to talk about this story and not talk about the supremacy of Christ, then I, will ha- I would have misinterpreted Scripture. The supremacy of Christ. Christ reigns supreme over everything. Look at the words of Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, the words of Jesus in this passage in Luke 5, 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He goes, I want you to know that I reign supreme in both dimensions, I reign supreme in the physical dimension, and I reign supreme in the spiritual dimension. In the physical world, Jesus reigns supreme. I spent the past week, and I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I went through most of Acts. And here's what I was skimming those verses for this past week, going through those five books of the Bible. I wanted to see if Jesus ever prayed for the sick. let me say that again. I wanted to see if Jesus ever prayed for the sick, because we're told he prayed for the sick. But as I began to read your Bible, and I would challenge you to go home and do this, very rarely did he ever pray for the sick. He spoke to the sickness and told it to leave. He never prayed. I can think of only one time before the resurrection of Lazarus that he prayed this week, this week as I was going through that. He looked right at the sickness and said, leave because he has supremacy. He has authority. If, I have the authority. if a police officer pulls you over, he doesn't have to go check with the chief if it's okay to write you a ticket, because he has the authority. Jesus didn't have to check with the father to decide whether or not he was going to heal somebody, because he had the authority. He just spoke to the sickness and said, leave. There were a few times Like one where he made mud and put it in the guy's eyes. But Jesus never prayed, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would heal this person. He didn't. It's not there. He spoke to the sickness and said, Leave, sickness leave, healing come forth. Too many of us are like, God, would you please heal? God, would you please take care of this situation? And yet Jesus said, The same authority that I have, I give to you. But we're too busy praying. You have the authority. You don't have to go check with the chief chief of police, the creator of the universe. He gave you the authority. Begin to speak it. Jesus didn't pray for the sick. He spoke to the sickness and commanded it to leave. The word rebuke, when Jesus says, I rebuke, you know what the word rebuke really means? It means to publicly embarrass. Jesus publicly embarrassed sickness. He made a spectacle of it. He embarrassed it. Because the sickness that thought it had control, Jesus is like, no, you ain't got no control. The winds and waves that thought they had control, Jesus is like, you didn't got no control. Get out of here. Dude, I, I challenge you. Even in Acts, it says that Peter just walked by and his shadow fell on people and they were healed from his shadow. I couldn't find anywhere where Peter or Paul or, or Philip or anybody else prayed for the sick in Acts. They commanded the sickness to leave, and it left. They, they spoke to the situation and told the situation to turn around. That authority has been given to you and I through the holy power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I give you the authority of my name to use it. Right? And so Jesus reigns supreme. Luke writes this because Jesus reigns supreme in our physical world. Point number two, under Point number five, so 5B. He is supreme in the spiritual world. So he looks at them and says, so you know I have supreme authority in the spiritual world. Get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Your sin is wiped out. It's gone. I reign supreme in the spiritual world and I reign supreme in the physical world. And a godly friend is going to point you every time in every circumstance to the supremacy of Christ in your life. In closing, I'm, re- I'm reminded of something when we come to Jesus. You see, when we come to Jesus, Jesus, we, we have this idea that in Jesus, we have this inclusive, loving, come to me and be who you are. But here again, I challenge you to go through the scripture because what Jesus invites us to is not that. It is a radical transformation welcome. It's a transformative welcome. Come into my family. Oh, and come into my family. Oh, and but guess what? Be baptized, which means die to the way you think you are and come alive to the way that I'm to the plans that I have for you. It's a transformative salvation. But we will be me, be me, be me. A real friend is not going to let you be you. A real friend is going to point you to the supremacy of Christ to point you to say, be more like Jesus and less like yourself. I thank God that somewhere in my teenage years, somebody came to me and said, "Don't, please don't be you. We all know what we're capable of when we're really being ourselves, Right? Just let them tell you that you have to put a mask on walking into the store. Or just let them tell you to take your mask off. Or let them just, it's in all of us. I just use masks because it's an example we can all connect to. A real godly friend says, Jesus is supreme in everything. And so today as we close out, a godly friend, number one, can be relied on, regardless of how they feel or what they think. Number two, they use their faith for you. Number three, they elevate you to do more, to be better. They bring you to Jesus. And not only do they bring you to Jesus, but they point to the supremacy of Christ in your life. And they remind you of that. Let's stand up this morning. If you're here this morning, we're not going to close out in song like we normally do, but if you're here this morning and you say, hey, I need prayer in my life. I want to pray for you. I didn't challenge you to take a look at your friends. Do they have these traits? Or is it every time you hang out, hey, did you see the latest score? Hey, how's this? How's that? Or do they have these traits where they're talking about Jesus and they're pointing you to Jesus and they're pointing you to grow you spiritually to be stronger? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you, if you're here this morning and you need a prayer for anything, I want to pray with you and believe that God will move supernaturally in your life. Maybe it's just you need a new set of friends because your friends are saying, no, go be you, go be you, and not pointing you towards Jesus. So we're going <clears> to <throat> we're gonna pray with those that come forward to pray. And I'm just going to ask that uh, you just hang with us just a minute or two longer as we pray. And if you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, take this moment. You speak to God yourself. What would God say to you in this moment? All right, I'm going to pray and dismiss. Dads, I want to invite you to go grab some exotic jerky on the table and then turn around and sign up to help us out on the 4th of July and just hang out here, watch fireworks, help us park cars or whatever. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, I thank you that you put friends in our lives that will point us to the supremacy of Christ in our own life. Lord, I thank you that you invite us. You're welcome into the kingdom and your welcome into the family of God is not just an inclusive, oh, just be you and let me love you. But Lord, it's a radical transformation welcoming to radically transform us so that we look nothing like who and what the devil tells us we are. Lord, I pray that as we leave here, we might examine our friendships. Let us love on our fathers and appreciate those fathers that have raised us up. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen.